everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am your host, Aliza Kelly, and today I am with the one and the only Teresa Reed, the tarot lady, an astrologer, an author, a new upcoming tarot deck uh, creator. Uh, there's a new deck coming out that I'm really excited to learn more about. Gemini Sun, Scorpio Moon, Libra Rising. We just found out we both are eighth house suns. We're both second house moons. So there is an instant connection on that second to eighth house access, which is really, I think, for me at least, I would say learning about that access is what gave me permission to do this type of work. Um, it validated so much of my experiences. So I'm I'm eager to hear about what that has translated into for in your life. So it's so nice to meet you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Elisa. I am such a fan and happy to be here today. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what your background is, how you became the tarot lady. Sure. Uh, I grew up actually in a very rural area. And back then, you know, there wasn't a whole, well, of course, I'm also quite a bit older. There wasn't quite um, the information I was looking for to really figure out who I was. And I was very fortunate because I had a girlfriend who's still my best friend to this day. And we were both kind of like the school oddballs. And her mother was an astrologer and her mother did my astrology chart. And that answered so many questions for me. So I became obsessed with astrology when I was 15 years old. And it was on one of those really super rare trips to the mall that I was at the bookstore looking for astrology books and I stumbled upon a tarot deck. And I saw those in the movies, like most people, you know, we all saw a spooky woman wearing all these costumes, reading for James Bond, pulling out the death card. And so, of course, I picked it up on a whim because I thought, of course, you know, this is nice and spooky. I want that. <laughs> uh, spoken like a true Scorpio moon. And I took it home. And, and a true eighth house sun. Yes. I took it home and I became obsessed with that too. And so suddenly it's like everything in my life, I was focused on astrology and tarot, astrology and tarot. And they were always in my, the background of my life, even though, you know, for part of my life, the earlier years, I kind of drifted around trying to figure out what do I want to do, blah, blah, blah. And it turned into a career totally, I like to say by accident, but maybe it's faded. Who knows? Uh, I would always bring my tarot cards with me everywhere I went. And I took a stint as a bartender and I was a lousy bartender. But I brought those tarot cards along to get something happening. And that is what really started my career because suddenly I have people coming in, uh, a full crowd every time I worked wanting tarot readings. And so it ended up becoming a business. And the reason why I call myself the tarot lady is because that's what people just said. They said, oh my God, I got to see my tarot lady. You know, it's, it's not really very original, but <laughs> th that's how that became. And I've been now reading professionally for 30 years, a long time, full time. Wow. So it was working at in that bar, bringing your deck and just sort of seeing how it resonated with people, realizing yep. that that was that there were people who were really hungry for the types of readings that you were offering them and that you could offer. And then that so was it sort of like, was it a transition of like, okay, I'm going to start doing this privately, and then I'm going to leave my job at the bar? Or like, how did you manage that moment? Because I do know that a lot of my clients who I've been working with for several years, some of them are right now approaching that moment where they're starting to feel like I've had I have this one life, but there's I'm getting a lot of green lights from the universe 
that it's time for me to make a change. So where did, and I'll say this in, you know, our spooky Scorpio eighth housey way, what was the final nail in the coffin of you are going to live a magical life and that is that? Being told that I wouldn't make it. Now, I don't like it when somebody tells me I can't do something. I'm very bratty that way. I've always been super rebellious. And what ended up happening is I had so many people coming in and the guy who owned the bar, you know, of course, that was a cash cow for him because they'd be drinking and eating while I was working and slinging those cards. And uh, some of the people, again, were telling me, hey, you know, I'd like a full reading. And I was making more money on tips. I was making a lot of money on tips by slinging those cards. And I just happened to say to him, I'm, gee, I'm thinking about maybe I should do this as a business. And he went behind my back and told everybody I was going to fail, that nobody would pay for that. Oh, oh yeah. hell no. Oh, yeah. Oh, hell no. <laughs> it's not going to work. Not for me. And so I'm like, oh, yeah. So that that pissed me off. And when I get mad, that's when I take action in life. When I get mad at somebody or something, it always spurs me. Anger for me is an energy. So I quit immediately. I had pretty much nothing to go on. And, you know, thankfully I had a partner. So, you know, we, we had some income coming and we didn't have a lot of money then. But immediately people started booking me for little parties and somebody hired me to come in and read at their bar. So it just kind of fell into place really quickly. But the whole reason why it started is because this dude had the cojones to tell me that I would fail behind my back. And the mm -hmm. ironic thing is my business is still going 30 years later. His business failed within two years. Wow. I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, it's super negative. Yeah, I mean, if that is the person who's running the business and they're sending that negative energy into the astral, they'll be getting it back threefold, you know? That's Absolutely. how it works. Yeah, but that was that's all I need. If somebody dares me or pushes me, you know, or steps past a boundary, I right away go into action. It's like, nope, mm -mm, you're not going to do this. That's not the way it's going to work. That's not how it works around here. I mean, so how do you handle when things are just easy and good do you find that you look for things to get pissed off by or like and, and like how can you reconcile like living a a peaceful I'm so reluctant to say happy but I guess for lack of a better word happy life without anger and negative energy and still find motivation to do all the things you want to do well actually for me I live a very peaceful boring life I always say I have to have a boring life in order to do the type of work that I do. I love peace. I'm a Libra rising. I love being alone. I love quiet. I love getting up really early in the morning when my husband's asleep and the cats are asleep and having that time to myself. So I'm actually very much a peace lover. I rarely, rarely get mad. And so I actually operate with a peaceful life all the time. It, I mean, my life is drama free. I have very little problems. Uh, if there is somebody in my life who's a problem, they get the boot. I have super <laughs> strong boundaries. Uh, and because, again, you have to, with this type of work, you have to have incredibly sky-high boundaries. You have to have your life in some sort of divine order so that you can be present for people. And so my life is engineered to be as calm and as possible. But every once in a while, something gets me mad. And if I get <laughs> mad, I get really mad. But sometimes that, again, will spur me into taking inspired action. So I think, you know, Maybe the anger sometimes really works as a feel because it's so like, you know, it comes up so suddenly and so unexpectedly. That's not how I live my life. My life is actually very, very quiet. 
Yes, I have found, so I am also, I mean, I, my chart is riddled with squares. I have a five planet stellium in my eighth house. My sun and south node are conjunct at the cusp of my eighth house. Moon in the second house, I, I think an interesting uh, piece of information in Pisces. An interesting piece of information for our listeners is that if your moon is in the second house, you can anticipate a lot of waxes and wanes of what security looks like. Wherever your moon is, is where you're going to find that undulation of that energy. So if it's in the second house, which has to do with money and resources and security, that's where you're going to feel a lot of that movement. So for me, I mean, I grew up in a very tumultuous household. I grew up with chaos. Chaos is more second nature to me than peace and tranquility. But as you're saying, to do this type of work, if you aren't organized with with your energetic resources, it is actually quite dangerous for you to operate. So I have just been over the past several years, and it's take it's taking a lot of time because it's I have to learn how to accept order instead of chaos. But it's like, you know, just making the what I perceived as boundaries like even stronger, like everything being regimented, leaning into my Capricorn rising in a way like I've never done before. But it's when you have grown up around chaos, it's really hard to find structure and to learn structure because you find yourself looking for chaos because chaos is order, you know? Oh, yeah, sort of like flipped on its head. It's so interesting that you say that because, um, you know, I also have a whole bunch of stuff going on in the eighth house. We both have cardinal risings. We both have water moons in our second house and tons of squares. My chart is nothing but squares. A lot of astrologers, (laughs) oh, they look at me like, oh, my God, what an awful chart. I'm like, well, no, actually, this is a motivated chart. And I grew up also in a very tumultuous, chaotic household. It was a violent household. And, you know, there there was a lot of financial struggles. And the interesting thing. My, and also my family are all extroverts, which I'm like the only one who's not. The interesting thing for me is that I had, I broke my leg when I was two. And when I broke my leg, I was in the hospital in traction for six weeks because that's what you did back then. And my parents had to leave me there, but that's what they did back then. This is not them being terrible parents. Um, and so I had six weeks all to myself. And normally, and you know, there were some things about that were very frightening, but I got accustomed to it. I liked being by myself. I liked having that little hospital room. And I had tons of books around me in Sesame Street. So I came out of that hospital reading at an advanced level and speaking I mean, really like a little adult. I was a very precocious child. And suddenly I'm back in this chaotic household. I'm like, wait a minute. And my mother, by the way, gave birth while I was in the hospital. So there's another kid. And so I come into this chaotic, emotionally messy, disorderly home. And I remember feeling like such an alien. And all I craved as a child was my own space. I wanted quiet. I wanted peace. And so for me, I'm very good with chaos. Oh, I'm great at dealing with it, but I don't like it. I need that piece to function fully. And I'm one of those people also, I don't like to fight. If I get in a fight with somebody, it lingers. It takes me three days to recover from it. I need peace. I need my harmony. I need no BS. I need people to be direct and honest because I grew up also in a very tumultuous, a very toxic household. So in sort of like recalibrating your life, you got you got this little insight from when you were in the hospital which is so interesting to me. I mean, I'm now I'm like just fascinated. I want to look at your whole chart and see about that accident and see about that space. To me, there's like that feels very, you know, sixth house, twelfth house, 
hospitals, institutions, wellness, care, like, you know, it's it makes me think about that as above, so below concept. But you were in sort of this institutional cocoon where you had access to your own thoughts and your own your ability to absorb information and quiet to reflect and to think about things. And then you came back home and you were like, okay, I know that this is not what I want. So from a young age, it was like you were ready to try to figure out how and when you could find that again. That yes. was the goal. Absolutely. And it's so funny because I'm so different than my siblings. I mean, they even, I don't even look that much like them unless you get us together and look very closely. We're super, super different. And I really attribute not just the astrological makeup, but that one little incident in my life just shaped everything. Yes. And that's all it takes. And that's why, you know, when I'm working with somebody, I need to know about those types of things. You know, it's essential to know that what you know and and you obviously are working within this world so you know the gravity of it but i can go for you know i'll be on 55 minutes of a 60 minute session and then i'll be like is there anything else you know that you'd like to cover and they'll be like oh well you know i have had epilepsy and nobody knows why since i was two and i'm like why haven't we talked about like that that reframes everything you know like that is a fundamental like magical, special, important thing that has lived as the backdrop of your entire world. Like, great. Now, <laughs> now we have to go over because I can't ignore that. Yeah. But it's, you know, to me, it's like, that's why the charts and the stories and understanding, like not just what the chart says or what the cards say, but the environment, the conditions, the things that have happened are just so essential and being able to hold space for somebody. Yeah. And, you know, we can have the exact same chart. We could be born the exact time and day, but we're going to grow up in different households and we are going to be different people. That's why you can have the same chart as somebody, but it's not going to look the same. Like when you look at twins, they have still, they have different lived experiences and that can color how the energy of that chart shows up for them. So I think astrology and tarot are fascinating because it doesn't matter if we have the same thing. It's still going to translate differently. So what is the process when you're working in the time that you were working with clients, whether that's past or present or future? How do you usually, is there like a structure for the way that you offer a session? Is there, are there certain sort of milestones that you use to anchor yourself, meet them, meet yourself? How does, how do you engage with your clients? Well, I've worked with clients for 30 years, and uh, as of the end of 2020, I am no longer offering readings to the general public because I'm really focused on my author work and my teaching work, which is where I want to go. Plus, I'm also getting near retirement age, so I've got other plans that I want to be doing with my life too. But generally in a reading, it, the first thing I like to do is sit down and I pull a card from an oracle deck. I always start that off for a reason. It forces us to take a moment. It's like taking a breath and I'll read like the back of the oracle card and that gets the person in the mode. It's kind of like it sets that tone that the reading begins now and all your other nonsense has to be left at the door. And then we always start out usually with a general outlook and the general outlook is a way for me to lay out the cards and look at the energy on what I'm picking up for the client because sometimes I might be picking up on stuff that they're not seeing or they're not aware of. And when I look at the reading for the general outlook, we're looking at where we are right now, what got you here, and where you might be heading based on where we are now. And from there, I allow the client to ask questions. And they can ask about what we've talked about. They might ask about other things that I haven't brought up. Uh, they might have specific things that they want to go deeper into. So the client gets to take the wheel. 
and they get to ask the questions. And then we lay it down the cards and we look at that. And then I always finish off with a, a closing spread just to pull things together to see if there's anything missing. I want to be as thorough as possible, but I also want to center that that middle section around what the client wants from the session. I don't want it just to be me yammering on. Now, there are some people who think that coming to a reader, and this is the client I do not like to work with, they'll say, just tell me whatever you see. I don't want to say too much. I don't want to influence it. Those are the worst clients because they are, yeah. Tarot and astrology, it's a two-way street. It's a conversation. And so even though the beginning I, I lay out and I'm looking at what I see, after that, we're talking, we're looking into that, we're diving into it together. And someone who doesn't want to participate, those are people that are looking for a psychic pony show. And I don't like that. Yeah, early on into working with clients, I had mostly positive experiences early on. But when I was still figuring out what the structure of a session looked like, there were the occasional people who came through, and this is also when my prices were lower, there were the occasional people who came through who would say, you know, I don't want to say anything. What do you see? Uh, am I supposed to tell you that? Like, shouldn't you know, kind of? Yeah. I would say not with malice, not because they're trying to be you get those people when you do events. <laughs> but if you're doing, yes. a, if you're doing, which I don't really do anymore. Don't do events. I always say don't do them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the I guess to just step out for a second and to mention events, the only reason I will do an event is if I am getting paid so absurdly well for the event that it will justify how depleting and how horrific I will feel throughout the entire experience in the day's leading up to it, knowing, and then in the days after when I'm processing um, how much toxicity just came through me. So unless I am getting paid, I, and we're talking thousands of dollars, I will not do an event. I can only do an event if it's like, it's it's a really weird special opportunity because of that. But in my one-on-one -on -one sessions from the beginning and and a lot of the listeners, I think, of this, of Stars Like Us, or not a lot, I don't actually have no idea what the percentage is, but I'm sure some people listening have had sessions with me. And they know that the first thing that I say is, what do you want to talk about? Why mm -hmm. are you here? Why did you book a session? Because you didn't do it when you were drunk. And if you did, let's talk about that. You know, if you book the session and have no memory of booking the session, I want to start with talking about that. But probably you booked the session and you know what you want to get out of it. So let's focus on what your expectations are so that we make sure that we're using this time in a way that is going to be relevant, productive, and really target specifically the things that are on your mind. Because the astrology, the tarot, like any of these tools have infinite amount of possibilities of how we can interpret the different energies, how we can look at what areas we want to look at, what cards we want to spend more time on than others. We we need to know as the practitioners, like why we are having this conversation in the first place. One of the things I will say, because thanks to the internet, I'm all about the internet. The internet has actually educated people on how to show up for a reading. Because back when I first started, there was a lot more of that bogus, oh, you know, guess what underwear I'm wearing and stupid stuff like that. <laughs> oh my God. I have yeah, all like, the- Do you know about the mole on my oh, 
husband's butt yes. cheek. I had a psychic who told me once that my that my true love was have a mole on them. <laughs> oh yes. Oh my God. I had so many ridiculous things, but this is because the public wasn't educated, and they would you would get a lot of this. I don't want to tell you anything. You you got to prove something. Really, really hard. It was harder. It was harder to do the work back. 30 years ago. And the beautiful thing about the internet is we have an opportunity through podcasts like this, uh, through blog posts, through books, whatever, to educate people on how to show up so they get the best reading, a reading that's actually going to help them, not some psychic pony show. That doesn't actually help you. I mean, sure, it's impressive if someone pulls something out of thin air, but it's ultimately, is that helpful? No. When I get a reading, let me tell you what I do. And I get a reading once a year. And always I do the same thing. I always tell the reader exactly what I want to focus on. That way, I'm getting the information I need. I don't want, like, for example, I never ask about my love life. I don't want to hear about that. It's fine. I've been with my husband 30 years. You know, there's not going to be some big, exciting Jason Momoa entering my life right now. It is what it is. I have no choice. No plans make any change there. I am very specific about what I want to focus on and what I don't. Because if I don't come in with that, sometimes the reader, if they have nothing to go on, they might start going off into a section that I don't care about. And that sounds weird. Right. And like, let's say you're having a Venus transit or you have something moving into your seventh house from an astrological perspective or, you know, from a uh, tarot perspective, someone pulls the three of swords, right? They might read that if they don't know that your love light, that they, that you, like you feel like that's a an area of life you don't really want to or need to discuss. They're going to see that transit. And then they're going to say, okay, well, since I have nothing to work on, this could signify yep. things in your love life. The next thing you know, that person who has a healthy, happy marriage is now going back home to their husband and being like, oh, my God, is my husband cheating on me? No, it's probably about something else. But because there wasn't that clarity, the reader just did the best job they could interpreting the energies without feedback. Absolutely. And, you know, oftentimes interpretation, I always say the cards are accurate, but sometimes our interpretation can get goofed up because we're human. Or if you are dealing with somebody who's not open to the experience, it can really go sideways. Uh, I, I, you know, I've got clients who've been with me for 30 years. Those are the best readings because, and here's why, I know them. I know them. They know how I work. They know my process. There's no having to figure me out or me figure them out. I know their backstory. We know what to work on. We can get right down to work and be effective. So when you have a reader that's your long-term reader, sometimes people say, well, don't you know things about them? Isn't that like cheating? No, it's not cheating. It means we have a developed relationship. We know how to work together. It's Those are the, my most effective clients. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, in a session with the clients that are my recurring clients, it's great because we can really, we pick up, the, they tell me what's happened since the last yes. time we connected and we pick up where we left off and we can see in real time, like, okay, so this is what that orbit, that cycle signifies. You yes. Know, that's what we've learned between this cycle and where we are now. So now we know that that you know, that this symbol translates to this experience. And you may not have that again for 10 years, 30 years, maybe never again in your life. But that's what, you know, now we can create what those connection points are. Oh, yeah. And you can go deeper. And I mean, I think when you have a a client that's a long term client, you're having like an ongoing conversation. It's like when I see my friend from high school, the one whose mother introduced me to astrology, she lives in Portland. So I see her once a year. We've been friends for 40 years and we don't talk at all. 
in the entire year. But when we get together once a year for that dinner, it's like we're picking up again on the conversation, what's happened, what's going forward. And it's the same thing with the reading when you're with a long-term client. You are like two friends coming back together over cards or stars, and you're able now to see to catch up and then to see where you're going from here. I think it's great. I love cards or stars. I think that that must, that's going to have to be the name of this podcast. That is so yes. beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful poeticism, which actually brings me to another thing I wanted to talk about with you, which is writing. Yeah. Um, so you are an author. You go through the writing process. I, too, am, I go through the writing process. I write a lot, a lot, a lot. And it is... You know, I have a lot of great writing placements. I have uh, Mercury in Virgo. I have Mars in Virgo. Mars in Virgo gets me in. I think that's where I get a, a little tripped up, to be honest, because it's so, you know, word choice and how the flow of it. And I, I find myself spending four hours and I'm like, oh, my God, I wrote a paragraph. Like, how is this possible? <laughs> um, but suffice it to say... What does the writing process look like for you? How do you organize writing? How do you efficiently sort of go through that creative experience and then translate what you want to say into words on a book? Well, first of all, I have a Mars and Virgo too. What? Oh my I, God, got Teresa. <laughs> this is so funny. So when you're saying it, I'm trying not to laugh. And and I, I can't believe this. Yes, I have a Mars and Virgo. And you know, Mars and Virgo people, we are all about precision and efficiency. But that perfectionism can really trip you up. So one of the things that has helped me a lot is I began blogging many years ago. And when I first started blogging, I was like, oh, what are you going to write about, you know? And so I was really kind of shy at first. And then I just got in what I called the habit. Uh, instead of like writing once in a while, I just started writing constantly. I got really, really disciplined. I am hyper disciplined about my writing. I write at certain times of the day. I have certain days set aside just for writing. In fact, this morning after I'm done talking with you, I'm getting to work on some writing projects that I'm working on right now. So discipline is the big thing. And that means I sit down and I write. Even if it sucks, I can always go back and clean it up. I just write. I, there's, it's, it's just a habit. It's like brushing my teeth. So like uh, I blog a couple times a week. I work on books. I, I just uh, wrote a book for another deck that's coming out next year. Uh, there's a deck coming out in a couple of weeks, you know, that I wrote the book for that. There is constantly just the habit. And so because I have good habits with my blogging, when it came time to write books, it was very much, I don't want to say it was easy for me to do because it's still hard. Book writing is tough, but I had good habits. And so what I knew was, let me be clear on what I want to write about. I always get clear. And then I create a little structure for myself. And then it's like I fill it in and I move it around. And Mars and Virgo is kind of like I'm moving it around and moving the pieces around like Tetris. That's literally how I describe it. Yeah. And then it that, comes I, together. Just, I, I feel this is making my day of us of, of finding these patterns and commonalities in our charts. That is exactly how I feel like. And maybe this is where the Pisces moon comes in for me. But I feel like I studied when in college I studied um, art history and fine art. So I was a painter in college. Um, and I feel like it's like moving oil on a canvas, you know, like it's like you have you put the color down and then you use a little paintbrush to like sort of push it into that position. 
I very much feel like words are always being sort of pushed into their position, moved around. I really think about the rhythm. Yes. I think about the flow, you know, and then I'll find myself thinking in these sort of like more poetic terms of like what it would be like if I wrote an entire book of footnotes, you know, instead of actually the the text itself. So I tried that with my manuscript and my editor, which just came back and she was like, I'm not really sure what's going on with these footnotes. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, unsuccessful. I, no, no problem. It was an experiment. No worries. But like I writing is so takes up so much space and it's so ironic because when you're writing it's sort of like you could the i the concept of it is like you and your keyboard like you and yes. this but there's no archetype i relate to more than Stephen King's Jack Torrance of The Shining when i'm writing where even though he is in a Ho- an abandoned hotel he still does not have enough space to yes. write his book <laughs> oh my god yes i yell at the cat all the time because it's you like have to. i know you want love right now but i need you to get the heck out of here and i'm very fortunate because of the way i've got a very strangely laid out house we call it a scooby-doo house so Ooh. i've got like a whole space that is to myself that i can lock everybody out and i can get into my little writing cave this is my writing cave right now. This is where I do all the writing. You can see it because we're on video. But everything here, my reading room, my writing room, it is all set aside just for me and I can lock everybody out. And I need that. And I need that so I can have all the space in the world to do the writing. So I totally relate to that. And it almost feels like, like you said, there's never enough time. And the funny thing is for me, I don't look at writing as a chore, even though sometimes it's a chore. You know, when you got to finish a book, it's like, oh, son of a gun, I got to sit down and write. But I'm always like antsy to write. I'm like antsy. I'm like, oh, I've got three clients today. I could be writing. I mean, which is the most ridiculous thing. I just want to sit my butt down and write. I'm constantly thinking about, I want to write. I got to write. I got to write. I got to write. I mean, that's probably how I pulled off writing four books in the last four years. I just had to write. You know, it was nuts. Yeah. In the final stages right now of finishing my my manuscript, which is, well, I've written three books, but I have my name on two books. And I have in the process of writing those, and not including the one I'm working on now. I never, I didn't feel like those were my tour de forces, if you will. I mm-hmm. felt like those were, the first one was me learning how to write a book. The second yeah. one was an offering for my childhood self. Mm-hmm. And then one of them I can't talk about. And then the other one, this one that I'm writing right now, does feel big. It feels mm-hmm. big in what I'm covering. It feels big in it being the culmination of a decade of me figuring out how to stop pretending I'm a normal person and start just living a magic life. Um, it feels like a milestone. And the bigness of that, being in New York City when I was writing it, on my couch, limited space. It was like just the the most impossible contrast. Um, And it taught me a lot about how physical space Mm -hmm. is – like there is this really interesting relationship between your environment and the way you can think about things and perspective. And it actually changed the way I think about astrology because I realized that 
oh my God, I've always been looking for space. That's why I'm a fucking astrologer. <laughs> like, of course I have. Like, I need not just more space in my home. I need more space in my mind. I need the entire universe. Yes. I need the, I need the universe and the things that I can't even see in the universe to be able to have enough space to unpack all of this stuff. And I think accepting that my ideas are so big that I needed to go to outer space in order to be able to make enough room. My feelings are that big. My soul feels that big. Gave me a lot of permission to to not feel as stressed out about the writing process. Yeah. Because it's like, of course it's going to be daunting. You're trying to bring everything into words on a page like of course there's going to be some sort of a disconnect and you'll just you'll figure out how it makes sense you'll work through it you'll move through it but sort of recognizing that it's not just about me not having enough space in my apartment but it's actually more symbolic than that was was really cool it was sort of like a breakthrough of how I could eat why I would even do this in the first place you know yeah and I think that that's I guess one of the points is that like writing itself is a process of just breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. Absolutely. And I, I used to live in New York back in the 80s. So I remember those small apartments. And I'm very fortunate to have a nice big house that there's all this physical space. But everything you're saying, I'm like nodding my head to. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Space. We're take, we need to take up also as much space as possible as writers and artists and creators. And I think sometimes for women, it's it's very hard for us to do that. And learning how to say, nope, I need my space. I need to take up space. I am here. I'm absorbing all these ideas. I'm spinning them back out. That's really big. I mean, for me, I think um, writing is very much a radical act. And I love to write also to get those ideas out there, to exchange them and to teach. And I don't want to contain those. I don't want to hide them away. It's like they have to come out. They have to. Yes, I I really understand. And I so relate. So for somebody who is beginning and in an earlier stage of their process, whether it be with astrology or tarot, how would you recommend that somebody start to develop a relationship with a deck or their intuition or the language of the stars? Well, first of all, I'm a big believer in journaling. I think when you're taking notes on your process as you're learning, I think that really helps a lot. You can go back and look at a tarot journal, an astrology journal, an intuition journal, a dream journal, whatever. You can put them all together in one, but you can go back and look and you can start noticing patterns. You can start seeing how you are accumulating that knowledge. So I'm a big believer in writing everything down, number one. And number two, it is about consistency. You're not going to learn tarot taking just a six-week course. You still have to go and practice afterwards. You have to practice on every body that will allow you to practice on them. Because taking a class is only going to give you the foundation. Reading a book is going to give you the foundation, but it's that real-life practicum that is going to get you to see, oh, these are how these cards go together. It's the same with astrology. Consistent practice. Take as many classes as you can. Study, study, study. And above all, write down your findings like a little scientist, because that's how you get to see how it's all going together, how you're making sense, how you're processing and interpreting information and how it's coming through you, because how tarot and astrology comes through you and me is going to be very different from this person and that person. And you got to find your own voice. And that comes with practice, consistency, 
and paying attention and paying attention by writing it down. Yes, I I agree. I I also think that just the experience itself. I mean, I always encourage people who are when they're starting to try to build a practice for themselves, make your prices really low so yes. that you can get a lot of clients and you can see what works and what doesn't work because when your prices are really low, you're going to get a lot of shitty people and you're going to see the difference between what it means to have a session that feels empowering and yes. energizing and one that depletes you and drains you. But only you will know what that means because for each person, it's going to be different and they're going to have their energy drained or their energy empowered in different ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are certain things I don't like to talk about at all. I'm like, oh, that topic again. And I think everybody... Which what topic is it for you? What is one of them? The one that I don't like is, will he come back? Oh, no. That is my most hated question. Because, And first of all, let me just preface this. Because sometimes, you know, it's it's our own attitude about it. Um, and I'm one of those people, when it comes to my love life, I'm very cut and dried. I'm super cut and dried. When a relationship is over, it's done. I never look back. I don't care about the past. I've had a lot of exciting relationships, but I never look back. When I'm done, I'm done. It's just, it's done. And so right off the bat, the idea of obsessing over somebody to me is like, why would you do that? There are billions of people in the world. There are billions of people for you to choose from. Why would you do that? So my head has a hard time wrapping around that. Okay, so Number one, it's my, I have a little bias. But number two, my biggest issue is oftentimes when people get hooked in to an ex, they become so unhealthy with it. And the reading never becomes about, let's move you through this. Let's get you healthy. They want to know everything their ex is doing. They get very obsessive. They do really unhealthy things. They ask really unhealthy questions. And ultimately, it doesn't ever help them. It makes them worse. And you can try to steer them as a reader and say, listen, instead of asking about what your ex is doing right now with this new person, let's focus on how you can move forward with your life. No, no, no. I want to know if he's coming back. I can't. I just don't think it's healthy. I don't like obsessive thinking. That's not how I yeah. roll. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, if, who, yeah, if, if presented with that question, which I do feel like happens more when I have a deck in front of me. Than I have when, yes. when I have the chart in front of me. I do feel like there's something about tarot that makes people ask more of those kinds of questions. You're right. I guess because with tarot, it there is a little bit more of that um, archetype, as you had described earlier, of that fortune teller. Yep. Who like can go into those dark corners and say like, yes, this is what they're doing. Like, this is how we're going to enchant them back into your life. Whereas there's not like as much of a, an astrologer, I think there's more of a clean slate in terms of like, what is that experience yep. going to be? They know it's going to be more internal. They know that sometimes people will be like, I have his chart. And I'm like, don't tell me his chart. Yes. I don't want to know his chart. I'm looking at your chart. I don't care about his. Yes. But yes, with tarot, when those questions come up or even in astrology, when they come up, it is, you know, to me, that is like kind of a hard stop. And it's yeah. like, a what are what's going on? Yes. You know, like because my guess is usually this is not the first time that this story has happened. 
Yep. Because if you're finding yourself asking these questions, they're compulsive questions, which means that there's some sort of a a, a deeper compulsion that lives within you that this is attaching itself to. Yes. And anytime you're spying on a partner or an ex, or if there's a lack of trust or any of that, you know, for a reader, we could do everything we can to get people to move towards a healthy place, which ultimately is the goal. We want people to have healthy, happy lives. We want them to untangle their issues so that they can live a life that is conscious and aware. And getting stuck in that kind of a mindset can be very frustrating for the reader, but also you're not living in the present. And those people do not understand, and they maybe they don't want to understand. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Usually, after a while, those kind of people don't like to come around me because I'm too I'm too straightforward. I feel the same way. I mean, I have a especially with this work, you have to have sort of a it, you have a no bullshit policy. Yeah, I mean, I have a no bullshit policy. When somebody's lying to me, I know I can tell that when they're lying to me, and I'm sure you have your signals for that too. When I was learning astrology, when I was absorbing it, and I found that in horary astrology, there are just tells for when someone's lying, you know, the placement of Saturn, if it's in the first, if it's in the seventh, like, or if it's in the sixth, whatever it was that was the rules. It was like, that was such a, um, that was so validating to me to be like, okay, it's people will lie to the astrologer, you know, people will lie to the tarot reader. And when we intuitively or have our own signals that show us that it's like our responsibility to say like I don't think that you're being if you're not being fully honest I can't give you a fully honest reading yes. you know and that's why also when you said earlier about charging more when you charge more you're going to get less clients like that you know in fact a lot of times when I like uh give advice to younger readers who are just starting out oftentimes they are not charging a lot which again is a great way to get your boots wet but um they are oftentimes dealing with people who, you know, are not going to be ideal clients. That's the only reason why doing those hotlines are not a good experience. The hotlines, I did a hotline for like one day. And after that, I said, oh, my God, I feel so depressed and awful. I can't do this work. I couldn't agree with that more. Um, hotlines today look like they look very virtual. So I want to just flag that as something that you know just because we're not phone dialing into a psychic hotline if you are connecting with someone you don't know on you know for a 10 minute or 15 minute quick session it's not advantageous for any it's it's a waste for it all a waste for all <laughs> it's not oh, yeah. doing work Mm-mm. it's not going to do the deep work that we need to do i mean look i'm efficient i can do a lot in 15 minutes but it's better to have a <laughs> session that is going to allow you to go in there and untangle the knots, not just say, here's your future, to get in there and untangle the knots to get to the reason why you are you and why you're making your choices and how you can make better decisions. That's where the magic happens in your life. Yes, absolutely. And there has to be a, a willingness to accept all of the things. Now, just a, a tarot question for you. Do you read reversed cards. Yes, I love reversals. Tell me about it because I don't. And I I am really curious about your relationship with them. Well, you know, um, I started learning reversals from the jump because there, I think I had one book and they had reversals. So I assumed you had no choice, but you had to read reversals. So I didn't know there were no teachers or mentors back then. I had no internet. And it wasn't until I came onto the internet, I learned that most readers don't read reversals. So there's and there's a lot of controversy around it. And some people say, well, you know, you don't need to turn them upside down 
to get a good reading? Why would you turn the Mona Lisa upside down? But I also am a yoga teacher and I have a yogic background. And one of the things that BKSA Yinger said is that you need to do inversions. And the reason why you do inversions is because if you don't, you only see things one way. And doing inversions allows you to, and I'm paraphrasing this, allows you to get another perspective. And so I feel that when you look at the cards reverse, it is giving you other perspectives, subtle nuances, um, and 78 more readings, meanings to play around with. So that's true. I mean, my Gemini side is like, hey, the more the merrier. You know, so <laughs> totally. I, I enjoy that. But they're not for everybody, and you could do a perfectly good reading without them. I've had Many people read for me who don't use reversals and the readings were great. It's a matter of preference. I like yes. them, but you don't need them. Mm -mm. And which which deck do you, do you have a preference of which deck you work with? Well, when I work with clients, it is always the, the Rider Waite Smith deck. And the reason why I use that deck is because it is universal. Most people know the images. My personal favorite deck, though, is the Baroque Bohemian Cats Tarot, which is the cutest tarot deck in the world. But I don't let anybody, nobody gets to touch it. Nobody gets to see it. It is like, it's almost like in a vault. It's only my deck. <laughs> I love that deck. Okay, last question. Do you read for yourself? Yes. I love to read for myself because I feel nobody knows me better than me. And unfortunately, sometimes when people read for me, they're intimidated because they assume I'm going to sit there and interpret and, you know, I guess grade their reading, which is really ridiculous. When I come to a reading, I'm like, I always come with an open mind. So I, I don't get tarot readings from people. I'll get astrology readings from people usually because an astrologer never, I mean, they just get right down to the facts. And so an astrology reading, they're not going to be intimidated by reading for the tarot lady. So, uh, yeah, no, I prefer to do tarot for myself. I think I get more accurate answers. So I, I have a lot of clients and I've, I have a lot of friends actually as well who will do card pulls for themselves and then they'll send me pictures and they'll say, I don't know how to interpret this. Uh, I pulled this for myself. I pulled this for the situation. I don't know what this says. And you can't take a picture of a it, that's not how it works. So no. if somebody pulls their own cards, you can't send it to somebody else for an interpretation because the same person who pulled them also has to be the one to interpret. I also don't know what the question was. I don't know what the environment was. I mean, it's just, it is a, it does not work to do that. So nope. I don't interpret uh, other people's readings because I'm not there at the time you're doing it. I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know what kind of stuff is going on in your head when you toss those cards. Uh, that, right. That's and we're both, we have that Virgo Mars, like yep. word choice is very important. Yes. You know? um, if I, the interpret, it's, you're going to get cards that are specifically responding to the question. And there's a difference between words like want and need. There's yes. a difference between words like like and love or infatuation or adoration. Like every word will have a different result. So if I am not the one asking, I'm not sure how to interpret it. It's like yep. does not compute. Yes, totally. I'm the same way. And plus, it's a waste of my time. Now you're making me work for free, free labor. <laughs> Tara Lady doesn't have time for free labor. So I, I refused to interpret for other people. Now, if you're in a class with me and we're studying together, at that time, we are present together. You're pulling a card and we're working together. That's different. Now we can interpret. But somebody's sending me, even a friend, a beloved friend will do that. And I'm like, I'm not interpreting your cards. Not for so free. how do you, when somebody doesn't know how to interpret their own reading, what do you think? Is there a workaround? What does that mean? Does it signify something? How would you advise people who find themselves struggling interpreting their own card pulls? 
First of all, if you're struggling to interpret it, write, again, I'm coming back to the write it down and come back to it later. Leave it alone for a while. Just leave it alone. And maybe when you come back to it later, you're going to be able to say, oh, oh, I've done that myself. You know, where suddenly it's like I'm too biased about a situation. I'm like, okay, Teresa, write it down, come back to it later. And then it will make sense later. The other thing that I recommend, if you are having a hard time wrapping your head around reading for yourself, hire a professional. Let them do a reading for you. Not read your cards that you just laid out. Let a pro do the job for you. And then pay attention to what they tell you and how they're gathering their information. And that might help you in your own interpretations. Yes, that's perfect. That's beautiful. I I absolutely agree. And if you have a friend, if you and your friend are sort of at a similar relationship with tarot, if you're at the sort of the same level, then you guys can maybe reserve like an hour or two to pull yeah. cards for each other. But if you can't interpret them yourself, nobody is going to interpret them on your behalf, you know, and because each reader is responsible for their own interpretations and would never impose another interpretation um, on someone else. In astrology, I have had clients who have said, oh, well, this astrologer told me that X, Y, and Z means that. And I've said, no, that was wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it does not, that doesn't mean that. That was an incorrect thing that they told you. But with tarot, it is, you would never do that. That no. would be super disrespectful. Tarot and, and, you know, I think that tarot and astrology, tarot is really great for that intuitive, that really feeling groovy side of my brain. And I love uh, astrology because it's for the math side of my brain. The side that loves numbers, loves astrology. It's all, it's facts, it's numbers, it's patterns. And so dun, 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 you can see how that goes together. And there is a, there is a real precision to it that I love. Where tarot doesn't, it's a little more murkier. So we do have to be very conscious of what we're feeling or the other person, their energy when we're doing the reading. That's why I don't like reading other people's cards. Have you ever had the experience of pulling cards for somebody and then realizing that you were pulling cards for yourself or someone else? Well, here's what's really interesting. And I've noticed this because, and this might be just because I've been reading a long time. Um, sometimes I will have people coming to me when I'm going through something very similar. Like when I was, when my parents were dying and they both died within four years of each other. I had no end of clients with dying parents. I mean, I, I, I would look at the cards and be like, okay, Tara Lady, is this your reading or is it hers? I mean, and, and I had a lot of really complicated things with my siblings going on at that time because my siblings are, let's put it very nicely, they're, they're very different than I am. <laughs> They've got very different ethical compass. And I had client after client coming in. They're like, oh my God, I'm dealing, I'm taking care of my parents and my awful sibling is doing this. And I'd be like, it's like we're having like the same life. So yes, that would happen. And it would often be when there was something going on in my life. But other than that, that it usually doesn't happen very much for me. A reading is usually very individualized for the person. But it when there's something major going on in my life, it's weird how that shows up at my tarot table. Oh, man, I this is all just like, it's just everything. <laughs> it's just, I mean, just everything is folded into this work. And I think that, you know, going back to jack torrance and the shining i mean it really does it's everything is just an allegory of an allegory of an allegory but nothing i think really exposes that more effectively than this material and yes. this magic so where can we find you how can we connect with you well people can find me my online hub is the tarot 
And I'm all over social media. My favorite is Twitter, but you can also find me on Instagram. My handle is always the Tarot Lady. And I have a Patreon account where I do extended card of the day interpretations, political astrology, which is one of my passions. And I also do uh, all my teaching over there. So I teach uh, tarot, I teach astrology, and I teach business courses too. Cool. Great. Thank you so much. So lovely to connect with you. You too. This has been great. Thank you, Aliza. Bye. Bye.